0: Well, welcome to all of you that are here um, this morning. You know, I know some of you were asking, well, how do we make decisions on when to meet or not? Because I know that some churches um, did cancel their services But just to want to let you know, for the past week, I've been constantly looking at all of the reports about Hillary and how it will affect us. I was listening to the reports on the radio yesterday, even at uh, 2 o'clock this morning, I'm on my phone just looking at, okay, you know, how's it going to affect us? And so I realized that, um, yes, there's going to be a lot of rain, but the majority of the um, damage is going to be done, you know, in the, in the Empire and in the desert. So if we were located in Palm Springs, yes, I probably would have canceled our services. But looking at where we were today, I felt that, um, you know, the damage would be not as severe here in, you know, the San Gabriel Valley. But as always, as always, you know, we want you to make your own decisions. And if you felt that uh, for you and your family, it's better to stay at home and uh, watch online, you know, that's perfectly fine, too. And so that's so just to let you know, we are coming up with a system in which we could text you. And so we're working on that right now. And so hopefully when we um, that comes out. You know, you could get a text instantly to let you know what's going to happen. But just to let you know that, you know, we were watching this thing um, diligently, and that's how we do it, because we know that um, we want to place a priority on your safety. But, you know, if you take a look at, you know, where we are today, we're going through the book of... Galatians, right? And as we've been going through the book of Galatians, Galatians is primarily about getting the gospel right. Because if we don't get the gospel right, there are repercussions and eternal repercussions if we don't get the gospel right. And if you take a look at what Paul's talking about, the book of Galatians is all about spiritual freedom. That God God wants to live a Us to live a life in freedom, and not in slavery, not in guilt, not being slaves to sin, and that's what it's about. But as we look through this, I get it. There's a lot of um, references to you know Jewish culture and Jewish history that may not mean a whole lot to us today, right? But you know what we're trying to do is we're trying to. um, understand what the Apostle Paul was saying and how that applies to us today. Especially, you know, in these series when it talks about um, faith versus the law or legalism. You know, for those of us, it does impact us. For those of us like myself who grew up in the church, right, in the, you know, 60s, 70s, and 80s, you know, it's all about do this, don't do that. You know, the church had a bunch of rules that if you were a good Christian, you would be doing this, 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 and you wouldn't be doing this, 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 this. And so for me, growing up in that culture, my faith was all about works. Yes, I understood that salvation was through Jesus and Christ and Christ alone and that we were saved by grace. But in the back of my mind, it was like, well, you know what? In order to um, keep my standing right with God, I have to do the right things. I have to, I have to not do the bad things. right and Even when I went to college, I went to a Christian college, and upon that application, there were all these things that you have to sign that says, you will not We would not dance. We will not see certain movies. We will not drink. There was all these lists that I had to check off, right? And I'm just going, what's this? But I really had no choice because our parents said, all of you have to go to a Christian college for your first year. So I remember signing that, and I crossed my fingers As I signed that, hoping that that would nullify that application. And even the seminary at that college, which unfortunately I attended, I would, you know, go to years later, they had a rule that all seminary students could not wear shorts. You know, no jeans. You had to wear dockers. You had to wear a shirt. And you had to wear a tie. Right, and that was—that's what um, all of the seminarians had to do. And I was like, "There's no way I'm going to this, you know, seminar, right?" But it, i ended up going there um, anyway. But fortunately, they um, really relaxed the requirements, so I was able to wear shorts and a T-shirt to my um, classes. But there are some of us who grew up in that culture, right? Where it was all we, we understood that it was being saved by grace, but what we also incorporated rules into our faith, and it was all about following rules and not being in a relationship with jesus christ and so we slipped into this pattern, so um, even though we 're talking about a lot of the things that the churches in Galatia were struggling with, and a lot of them had to do with the law and faith, I think we still struggle with those today. And so if you have your um, Bibles, could you turn with me to Galatians 3 um, chapter 15? And I'm going to be primarily using the New uh, Living Translation just because I think it's a lot easier to understand, um, at least for this section. And so the Apostle Paul says, Dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an evocable agreement, so so it is in this case. And so once again, he's talking about the promise and the law. And what he's saying, okay, guys, I'm going to give you an illustration, an example that all of you should understand. That, you know, once you make an agreement, once it's ratified, once it's signed, well, you can't go back and change that, right? It, it, it would be like, let's say you would go out and purchase a car, right? So you go out to the dealer and you purchase a car, right? You look at it, you come up with a, a price, and you come up with this is what I want, this is what I don't want, and then you sign the agreement. The, uh, the dealer says, okay, here are the keys, the car is legally yours, Okay, what happens if you would get a knock on the door or a call the next day and said, you know what? We need to talk. You, need to, you owe another $10,000 for that car. What are you guys going to say? we in say, no way, right? You're not going to say, well, oh, man, it's just my luck that this would happen. You know, here's a check for $10,000. No, you wouldn't do that. You know, they would say, why? Because we had an agreement. We signed an agreement that was binding. You cannot go and change the uh, contract. You know, we, we, we signed it. But what if they say, no, we're going to enforce it. They say, okay, well, do whatever you want. Threaten me all you want. We have a signed agreement here that you can't break. And this is what Paul was saying and regarding God's promise that he made to Abraham and the law. And what he was saying here is that, you know, God made a promise to Abraham, right? He made a promise to Abraham that you, that God loves us and that we would be eventually saved through faith, through who? His son, Jesus Christ. And the law which came later does not override that promise because God made a promise and he's not going to go back on that. And we're going to take a look at that. And he says, now the, in verse number verse 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings as of many, but it says and to your offspring, that is one, to one person who is Christ. Now basically here what we see happening is how scripture or the Old Testament was interpreted. And, and this is really important, too, because the way they interpreted the Old Testament is the way that they came up with their um, the, their beliefs that, okay, that um, when we say offspring, and Paul says, it's not offspring's plural, and we're going to take a look at that, right? They interpreted it as plural. Now, I get it that this was many, 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 many uh, millennia of... Um, in, of interpretation, but this is where we really need to be careful how we interpret scripture. Because how you interpret scripture really dictates how you live your life. Because the way I interpret scripture is I take a look at what scripture says. What was the original intent of the author? And in what context was he saying this? Why was he saying this? What were the issues that were going on? What was the culture of the people that was going on? And why did he say this, right? And then we interpret it that way and we take a look at those principles and then we bring them forward, right? We don't proof text. Now what proof texting is, it's just taking scripture randomly and allowing and interpreting it to what? Support our belief system. And a lot of times people do that, and you'll see this all the time, right? They have a certain belief system, and what they do is they yank scripture, any scripture that supports their belief, and they take it out of context. It doesn't even mean that, but what they do is they use it to support their belief system, or more recently, to support their lifestyle, right? And that's not how we interpret scripture, now, am I perfect at interpreting Scripture? No, I'm not an academic. You know, yes, I use commentaries. And when I look at Scripture, I tend to take, be more traditional or conservative in the way that I interpret Scripture. Right? But that's just me. That's my bent. Right? I, when you come here, I say, you guys study it on your own. Come up with your own conclusions. Right? I don't demand that you agree with me. Right, That's not the whole purpose, right? You know, I study it, and I said, this is what I believe Scripture is saying. These are the principles I believe that the author is saying. But you need to be diligent in examining Scripture yourself, right? And so this is what was going on, right? And so, th- what, so when it says, what's he referring to? Well, he's referring to the Abrahamic promise that was given to Abraham... But that was repeated to Jacob in Genesis twenty eight thirteen. You know, Jacob was sleeping, and he got this dream from God. And he says, and this is what um, God says, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. So where um, Jacob was sleeping, you know, this is part of the Abrahamic covenant, that he said, you know, where you're sleeping, One day your descendants will inherit this land, because I promised that. And then he goes on to say, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you, you and your offspring. Now, this is what Paul was talking about here when he said, all the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. And this is where interpretation counts. Because the word offspring here can be interpreted in both the singular and plural. And we, in our language today, in the English language, there are words today that uh, signify both singular and plural. You know, I like to fish, so trout is one of those words, right? Where I could say, you know, I see one trout in the river, right? Or I could say, I see three trout. In the river. I don't say three trouts, you know, in the river. If I said that, you'd look at me funny and go, Dave, what's up with your grammar? Right? Because trout is both plural and singular. And so offspring is both plural and singular. See, the problem here is that the Judaizers interpreted offspring as being plural. That the whole earth will be blessed through you and your offsprings, plural, which be, would be through the nation of Israel and, fo- and their laws. So then ultimately salvation would come through the nation of Israel and through f- following their laws. And that's how they interpreted that passage. But what Paul is saying, no, God's original intent was this, was, was that offspring is singular. That he was saying the world was gonna be blessed through your offspring, your descendants, that one person. And who was that one person? Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ. And so this is why what the uh, Judaizers were trying to say. And he continues to say, My point is the law, which came 430 years early, later does not annul a covenant that was previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. And what Paul is saying is that, you know, God made a covenant or promise to Abraham 430 years before the law was made, right? And so then, you, know, you know, most commentators say it's 430 years from the uh, time that the Abrahamic covenant was given to Jacob, Right? Um, But still, this was a promise. And so, he, he was just talking about sequence. The promise came before the law, right? And it was an irrevocable agreement that God made to Abraham. Therefore, when the law came later, 430 years later, it doesn't nullify what? It doesn't nullify a promise, because if it did nullify God's original promise, then what? It would show that God does not keep his promises. That he made a promise to Abraham 430 years later, God said, you know what? I'm going back on my promise, right? And that's what he was trying to say here. That, and if you look at Numbers 30, 23, 19, the author says, God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Right? And so, what's the author saying here? Is God is not human. Lying is a human quality, a human trait, a human characteristic. It's not one that God has. Changing one's mind is not a characteristic of God right and then keep not keeping a promise that's a characteristic of what of human beings but is not a characteristic of God and we have hope because God always keeps his promises and this is key this is key that God always keeps his promises and this is what the late Charles Pastor Charles Stanley says Although our faithfulness wavers, Scripture affirms that God is faithful all the time. Even the sin of his children will not nullify it because the Lord never changes. None of his attributes change. That's why we can be confident that he will keep all of his promises. His faithfulness is a certainty that we can rest upon. And for those of us who struggle, for those of us who have grown up with a faith of do this and do that, don't do that. For those of who struggle like me, who I was never the best rule follower, you know, that always bugged me. Because I grew up saying, in order to be a good Christian, I need to do this, 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 and not do this, 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 this. But I always, it seemed like I kept on doing the Don't do this, 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 this. You know, this is why I love the passage when Paul was saying, you know, the things that I know I should be doing, I don't do. Right? But the things I know that I shouldn't be doing, I do. And Paul struggled with that. And when I look at my life, it's something that I struggled with a lot because I was growing up in that culture, and I'm saying, "Why do I keep messing up? Why do I keep messing up? I can't keep following these rules, right?" And we're going to learn how to live, you know, the life that God wants to live, you know, later on in the Book of Galatians, and it's through the power of the Spirit, but not our own. I was trying to live the Christian life through my own power, my willpower, and I kept on failing but when I realized you know I said don't believe what you feel about God because I felt that God I knew God was a holy righteous God and here you have this one guy named Dave Fukuyama who keeps messing up so my feeling was okay God's patience is going to run out with me that God's going to say, you know what, Dave, you just don't measure up. Ah, I mean, how many chances do you need, right? Sorry, you've run out of chances. And so I, in my heart, I felt that, okay, God was going to give up on me, right? However, be- don't believe what you feel about God. Believe what God says about himself. And that's important. God keeps His promises. Is his promises dependent on me and my works? No, it's not. Why? Because when God promises something, it's in his nature to keep his promise. It's not dependent on me, right? It's dependent on God and who God is. And in his character, in his very nature, God will always keep his promises. This is why understanding scripture is so important, because when you read scripture, you read the promises of God that God gives to each one of us, right? And so we need to appropriate those promises, knowing that it really doesn't matter what I think about myself. What matters is what God says about himself, and God is a promise keeper. It says, for, the, for if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not re- be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abram as a promise, right? If salvation came through obedience to the law, if your standing as a disciple of Jesus Christ was dependent on you Obeying and keeping the rules, then salvation and the continuation of our salvation would be based on our effort and not on our faith. Right? However, we know that salvation is based on a promise that God made to Abraham. And all the promises we see in Scripture. About, God, about salvation. Those are promises that God made. And it's a result of us having faith in God who made those promises, not in us, in our ability to keep doing good things. You know, I have faith that Jesus paid for my sins. Right? Because a pro- promise requires faith. Right? Works of the law, it has to do with your works, right? Obeying the law has to do with your works. However, appropriating God's promise is an act of faith. That I have faith that Jesus paid for my sins that I couldn't pay for them on my own. I have faith that because of Jesus, I have been declared righteous. And we saw that in Galatians. That did you know each one of you who are a disciple and a true child of God, God says you are righteous. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter, oh, I know what I think, I know what I did. I'm not a righteous person. That doesn't matter. God declared you righteous because of what? Because of who? Jesus Christ. Right? Not because of your works. I have faith that through belief in Jesus, I have salvation, right? And it's all based on that promise. It's all based on promise is what? We approach God's promises through faith, not our own works. Then he says, well, why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the catch this it says but the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised the law was temporary right the law had a time limit and god gave his law through the angels to moses who was the mediator between god and people okay so the law was why was the law given then If we were saved through faith, why was the law given? Well, the law was given to show that we as human beings are sinners and that we all fall short of God's glory. Because you have to remember that the Israelites were in Egypt for 400 years. When you're in a country for 400 years, what's going to happen? Any thoughts? If you're in a country for 400 years, foreign country for 400 years, what's going to happen? You're going to assimilate into their culture. Their culture becomes your culture. Their values become your values. And we just see that in this country here, right? Um, you know, my grandparents came over from Japan, and they had their culture and so forth. And I'm what they call the third generation. But guess what? You know, I don't speak, you know, Japanese, right? I still, there are still remnants of Japanese culture there, But for the most part, only within two generations, we've been assimilated into the American culture. What do you think is going to happen over 400 years? And so what God is trying to tell them is that, you know, I have, okay, you have taken Egyptian standards, right? Egyptian morals. I need to tell you my standards. And these are my standards, which are different than what you learned while you were in um, Egypt. And so, to show this, I want to do an, give you kind of like an example. And Nathan graciously volunteered, or was volu- told that he has to help me. Hello, or else I lose my job. That's right. Okay, I want you to stand right here. Stand okay. Up. Okay. I represent Abraham. Okay, and so God comes to me. And says, you know, I love you. And then one day, the whole world is going to be blessed through one of your descendants. It's going to be my son. And everyone is going to be blessed because they will be saved through faith. And Abraham, I love you and you've been declared righteous. Not because of your works, because of your faith. So right then abraham has been declared righteous and i'm god to say you know what i love you i love you and then we have moses here now moses has just come down from mount sinai he has the law now what was israel doing when he was up in the mountain you have the golden calf. They were doing, uh, acting in all kinds of immoral behavior, right? And so he's Moses. And he's going to say, God's not pleased. So what are you going to call them? Y'all are some sinners. Exactly. You're not saying it with conviction. Oh, I'm sorry. They, they just messed you up. You are all sinners. Oh, my goodness. Dishonor on you. Dishonor on your family. Dishonor on your cow. Cal- no, I'm just kidding. Thank you for that Mulan reference. Yeah, you are. But. Anyway, what are they supposed to do now? Obey the law. You. What? Obey the law. You need to obey the law that I brought down, that Jesus, or that God wrote. Okay. That I have. So this is Moses. I'm God. I love you. And I'm going to bless you through my son, Jesus Christ. Okay, let's move on down through, through the Old Testament. Now we're at David. Are they still sinners? Call them sinners, Still sinners, still messing up. What are they supposed to do? You need to follow and obey the law, right? And I'm God, but I love you, and you will be saved through one of your descendants, who is my Son Jesus Christ, right? And so now we come over here, and this is the cross. The law is no longer dead, alive, but it's dead. So you die. You die. You're dead. You could go back. (laughs) I love you. And salvation is going to come through my son Jesus Christ in faith, not by works. And this is at the cross. Right? New covenant. Where are we now? 2023. Right? I love you. Salvation comes through faith. In my son, Jesus Christ. The law, that that was over at the cross, right? So what Paul is saying here is that Abrahamic covenant started way back there and continues on to today and to the future. And the law did not ratify that. So what Paul is saying is why are you trying to mix the law with grace? Now, did the law? Jesus say he came to destroy the law? Of course not. He came to fulfill the law because the law says y'all that we're all guilty, and he came to say yes, you are, you are guilty. The law proved that, but I came to save you. I came to pay the price that you should be paying for your salvation, right? And so this is what he was saying here. Now, do. Do certain parts of the law still apply? Of course. The moral codes that we see in the law, they still apply today. But in order to be declared righteous, in order to receive God's mercy and forgiveness, that's not dependent on the law. And this is something that we have to realize. And this is why Martin Luther said you have, for us teachers and for us pastors, we have to teach this over and over and over and over and over again. And he said, even beat it into people's heads that we are saved by faith through grace and not by works. And that we are sustained by faith through grace. We are sustained by Jesus Christ and not our works. So Paul is livid and he's saying, stop trying to combine those two. Stop trying to combine those two. And then he goes on to say, now a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham, right? And, and so what he's saying here is a mediator or a third party is good to have, because then you have an outside witness who can testify to the details of the agreement. Because if I have an agreement with Co that says, you know what, I'm going to sell you my car for X amount of money, right? And Cohen, and I shake on it, but it's just between me and him, right? And so let's say next week I come back and I change the price. Cohen's going, what's going on here? We didn't sign anything. He said, and then I'll go back to him and say, well, prove it then. All right, prove it. Well, he can't. It's just my word against his. But if we had a third party, they could say, hey, Hey, Dave, I was there. No, this is the price you both agreed on. You need to stick with that price. And so what Paul is saying, it's good to have a mediator. However, there is no authority higher than God. He was the one who made the promise. He was the one who was with Abraham. He is a God that cannot lie. He is a God that always keeps his promises. Therefore, that is enough. That is enough. And then he says, is there a conflict then between God's law and his promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. Right? Right? And so, what do you think? Well, is there a conflict then? I thought, is there conflict between? Wait a second. We're supposed to be saved by obeying the law, but now you're saying that what we're sus- we're saved and we're sustained by God's grace, right? And belief and faith. These things don't seem mutually exclusive. You know, they seem in conflict with one another. And so, what he's saying? No, he said. If you could be saved by your works, it's not based on a promise by God. It's based on your own effort. And this is why I said earlier, salvation, if you believe, salvation comes by works. If you believe that you have to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ and your works, one author said that that's a criminal doctrine. And it is. Because that's a doctrine that leads to death because salvation comes through faith and faith alone in jesus christ and as you walk as a disciple of jesus christ you are sustained and you are transformed and you are secure through what the promises of god and the work of the holy spirit in your life and that's important and it says but the spirit but the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ you know we were all the bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and what was the penalty well the wages of sin is death You know, granted, physical death as well as spiritual death, which is eternity away from God. Right? But he said, because if you receive God's promise, it gives you freedom. It gives you freedom. And this is what Galatians is all about, living with freedom. It's not a license to do whatever you want. Paul would never, ever say that you were saved to live a life of freedom so you could do whatever you want. What he says, you are free now to live the life in the guidance and in the obedience of Scripture to live the life that God always wanted you to live that's free from guilt. So you don't have to keep beating yourself up all the time. It's kind of last week when I said that. This one person said, you know, we, sometimes we believe that our sins, that our mistakes, are etched in marble. Meaning that once they're etched there, it's there for all time. And we keep seeing it because it's etched there, right? It, all of our mistakes, we keep bringing them back into our memories. Oh man, remember you did this? Why? Because it's etched in marble. But then he said... Many times it seems like God's mercy, God's goodness, God's forgiveness is written in dust. That, you know, God does these good things for us. We know that God's forgiven us for this. We know that God is merciful. It's written in dust and the wind comes and just blows it away and it's like, man, where is that? Oh, but I see my sins etched in granite. Ah, so I'm constantly reminded of it. Remember what I said last week? God takes our sins and separates it as far as east as from west. And what? Are you guys listening? What, what was the last part of that? Okay, and remembers them no more. Okay, guys, repeat this. God takes our sins. And separates them as far as east is from west and remembers them no more. Once again, just this phrase. And remembers them no more. So if God forgets about the sins and your mistakes, why are you bringing them up all the time? Why am I bringing them up all the time what does that show (laughs) it shows that I'm not fully vested or fully don't believe that God keeps his promises because why this is a promise from God It doesn't matter what I feel God doesn't etch my mistakes or my sins in marble he actually writes them and doesn't they're gone right but we do the other way around that's the life That God wants us to live. A life of freedom. It's the best way for us to live our lives. And we're going to talk about that. In the upcoming chapter. So please continue to come with us. But. Live. In the freedom. Given to us by Jesus Christ. And not under the slavery. Of the law. And this is I hope you take away. For not only this. But our entire series, is live in the freedom that you have under God. Are you going to make mistakes? Of course you are. Right? I mean, just look at the Bible. The Bible is littered with individuals and even our saints who made mistakes. But does God beat, the, beat us up by those mistakes? He, he says, no. <laughs> I've forgiven you. For I've declared you righteous. Right? Get up. And live the life that I want you to live. That's freedom. It's not license to do whatever we want because we're going to see that in the future. But there is freedom, total freedom, in living the life that God wants us to live. And so each one of us today has to make that choice do I want to live the life in obedience to God that He wants me to live? which is the best way to live my life? Or do I want to live the life that I want to live? My dreams, my hopes, you know? And then that's a life of eventually living in slavery and in fear and in guilt. I pray that each one of us choose to live in the life, in the freedom that's given to us through Jesus Christ. So what's our weekly challenge? is I want us to read Galatians 3, 15 through 22, using the New Living Translation every day. Now, I know some of you said, you know what? I'm good with the New American Standard. Go for it. You know, that's okay. But for for those of you who are kind of learning and more new, try to use that translation. So how do you do that? Well, I don't have that Bible. BibleGateway.com. Bible com, You guys remember that? BibleGateway.com. You just write your verse there, and there are a ton of different um, translations. Or you just click on it, and it gives you that translation. I use it. But also, they have commentaries, in free commentaries. I mean, I had to buy my commentaries, which are expensive. But they have commentaries that they, you could use to help you understand. But I want you to read this passage. Right? It says, Corey Tenboom, and she was the one who was, during World War II, who was thrown in a Jewish concentration camp because her and her family hid Jews, right, from the Germans. And uh, she was, you know, this Christian that we all, a, a Christian of great faith, right? And she says, let God's promises shine on your problems. Are you guys going through problems today? We all do, right? And we all continue to have problems. But rather than be anxious about it, what does she say? Let God's promises shine on your problems. This is why it's so important for us to read our Bibles. Because our Bibles are full of God's promises. You know, if you're not reading your Bible, it's like, man, what are you, what are you doing? It's full of God's promises in there. That when you are going through a promise, don't worry about them. Don't worry about what you, f- what you feel about God. These are his promises that are true when they were written. They are true today and they are going to be true to the end of the earth. And they're going to be true always because God can't change, right? Reflect on your current problems and claim God's promises to give you peace. You're going through a problem right now? Are you going through a trial right now? You, can, you won't believe how scripture, how God's promises, when we appropriate them and say, God, you are going to do what you're going to do because you promised that. You know how that's going to happen? I don't know. But you're going to do what you're going to do because you promised that for me. You see what a change that makes in your life. Let's pray. Worship team, please come forward. Oh, gracious heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. And Father, that we can always trust your promises. And Father, your promises that you made to us are not based or conditioned on our actions. But Father, they're based upon who you are and your character. Father, that you will never, ever, ever go back to your promise. And Father, you will always, always, always fulfill your promise. If you're here right now and you're going through a tough time and if you're honest with yourself, you don't believe that, take a few moments to ask God, the Holy Spirit, to reveal who He is and that He is the promise keeper and to let His promises shine on the problems that you're facing right now. Father, I thank you that there are no problems that we could ever face in life that are outside the covering of your promises. And for that, Father, we are truly grateful. And so, Father, I pray for each person here that we really take to heart the importance of reading your word because by obeying it, It's a way we appropriate your promises and understand your promises, Father. So if you're here right now and you're kind of struggling and you're not even sure what promises apply to you, you know, look it up in Scripture or ask a brother and sister, you know, what promises of God apply to your situation right now? Father, I thank you that you've given each one of us the freedom to live a life for you, which is the best way for us to live our lives, Lord. And that comes by faith. And Lord, may this be the day when we turn and say, Father, I'm going to live the way you want me to live. My dreams are your dreams. My hopes are or your hopes, my dreams for my children are your dreams and your plans for my children. my dreams for our spouse, my marriage, my relationships. they're your plans, father, and not my own. I yield that all to you, knowing that you are the promise keeper. And father, that you will keep your promise to us so we could live and experience your peace that surpasses all understanding. In your son's name, I pray. Amen.